There's nothing to distract you from worship like a five-year-old sticking a toy snake in your pocket while you got your eyes closed. <laughs> if you weren't awake, that'll do it. Hope everybody's doing well today. It's good to see you. Ben and I were joking right before the service. We get started, and it was uh, my family, the band, and the Millers. <laughs> and it, this happens a lot, and then I get up here, and poof, everybody's here. So glad y'all are here. Glad you're with us this morning. So last week, uh, beautiful Sunday, we got to, to dedicate uh, Maddie and Jake in Cyprus, and that was really exciting. We looked at Hebrews chapter 4, uh, and we talked about the promised rest. And so we're going to talk some more about that today as we move forward in chapter 4. But I wanted to kind of recap just a little bit on, on where we left that out, left that off, because God's made some, and, and I love our children's stuff, has been focused on God always keeping his promises um, the scripture that, that Leah read this morning, and thank you, Ben, for your testimony. I am going to tie all that together. It was perfect for today. Um, if you missed Ben's testimony this morning, I texted the elders this weekend and said, look, we're going to be talking about faith today. And so if there's um, a story that the Lord would have you share, please do so about having to step out in faith and trust him. And so uh, Ben shared one of those stories this morning. We'll, we'll touch on that in a minute. But a couple of things that we talked about last week that I wanted to bring back to our minds is that... The rest that God promised Israel is still available to us today. Now, last week, you kind of touched on what that rest was. And we're going to dive deeper into that today and to understand for us what that looks like. Because for Israel, the rest that God promised was the promised land. But obviously, that's not the promise that we're looking forward to, right? Anybody awake? Okay. All right. Good. The second thing is, is that um, the rest that Israel was promised they forfeited because of their unbelief, because they didn't trust God. And I love, uh, you know, we, we, talk about, we talked about that last week. And I know that in my mind and probably in your minds, when we talk about the promises of God, we don't like to think about the fact that sometimes we can mess those up. I love, uh, I was telling Charlie, I was holding her during Come Thou Fount. That's one of my favorite hymns. And then I think it's the third verse. It says, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. And I don't know about you, but I experience that often. Thank you, Anna. It says, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God that I love. And then most importantly, that third line, it says, here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. We're going to talk about that idea today. That is the heart of what the Lord has for us. So the author uses Israel's experience in the wilderness as kind of a case study for this point that he's trying to make. Remember the church is, is struggling, that the one that he's uh, writing this letter to or the churches they're in Rome they're being persecuted and the tendency the the temptation is to leave as the body of believers the believers in Jesus and to go back to their Jewish heritage and so if we look at that case study and we ask the question what caused Israel to miss out on the promise it was their lack of faith it was their disobedience Today, as we read this next, next section, um, here's two, two questions that popped in my mind that I felt like the Lord wanted us to answer today. The first one being, what's the relationship between faith and rest? How, do those, how are they intertwined? Because they very much are. And then secondly, what is the rest? And what does that look like for us in our lives? So to start out today, we're going to talk about faith and what role that plays in our relationship with the Lord. And then secondly, we're going to look at what the promised rest is for us. What does that mean for you and I today as part of the church? So read with me today, Hebrews chapter 4, verses 3 through 11. It says, For we who have believed entered the rest, in keeping with what he said. So I swore in my anger, they will not enter my rest. 
even though his works had been finished since the foundations of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in this way. And on the seventh day, God rested from all his works. Again, that passage, in that passage, he says, they will never enter my rest. Therefore, since it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news did not enter because of disobedience, he again specifies a certain day, today. He specified this speaking through David after such a long time. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. Therefore, a Sabbath rest remains for God's people. For the person who has entered his rest has rested from his own works, just as God did from his. Let us then make every effort to enter the rest so that no one will fall into the same pattern of disobedience. So we've been talking about Israel and their wandering in the desert for a number of weeks. And the fact that they didn't get the promised land. Remember, a whole generation died in the wilderness because when the spies went in, some came back and reported that there were giants living in the land. And they said, God, we wish you just left us in Israel, left us as slaves. And so God says, fine, you don't want to go, you're not going. And so they die in the wilderness, that whole generation. And it was because of a lack of faith. And we've talked about the irony of that, about all the things that God had done to get them out of Egypt and through the wilderness to get them to that point where they're standing on the edge of the promised land. And so if a lack of faith in God caused Israel to miss out on the promised rest, how do we avoid the same thing? Because we all share and we have testimonies of the things that the Lord has done in our life, but we also all feel that same tendency that we just talked about that's expressed in the hymn, Come That Fount. We feel that tendency to wonder from the Lord. And so if Israel, who saw these amazing things, look, I would venture to say, God's, I know that God's done incredible things in your life, but I can tell you from my life, I've never seen a sea parted and walked through it and then watched the army that was pursuing me drown. That's significant. And so if Israel, who experienced those things, got to the edge of God's promise and said, no, nah, it's too big, and walked away, how much greater is that for us who have not seen the things that they have seen? And so the obvious answer is, how do we avoid the same? Is that we must have faith. But that begs the question, how does one, more, how does one get more faith? If God's promised us rest and it's for our good, we don't want to miss that, right? If God tells you the best thing that I could have ever designed for you is right here in front of you, I don't know about you, I can't speak for you, but I don't want to miss the goodness of the Lord. And so how do, I, how do I get more faith? I, I was thinking about it this week. I, have you ever heard the little saying that goes with um, asking or saying that you need more patience? What do people say when you say you need more patience? Don't ask God for it, right? And, and as I thought about, somebody made a funny face at me. People say they don't ask God for more patience because he's going to give you opportunities to learn patience, okay? But isn't asking for faith kind of the same thing? Isn't it asking God to put you in a situation where you need more faith than you have? And so how do we, how do we cross that divide? How do we get from having a little faith to having a lot of faith? What does that look like? Look with me at a, a famous example of someone asking Jesus to increase their faith. We'll look at Mark chapter 9 verses 20 through 24. I want you to read this with me. It'll be on the screen or you can read it on your Bible or your device. 
It says, so they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit that was in the boy saw him, it immediately threw the boy into convulsions. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. How long has this been happening to him? Jesus asked the father. From childhood, he said. And many times it has thrown him into the fire or water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, everything is possible for the one who believes. Immediately the father of the boy cried out, I do believe. Help my unbelief. So here's a man who has a son who's possessed by a demon. And if you remember this story, if you're familiar with it, you'll remember that the disciples had already tried to cast that demon out and were unable to. And so they bring the boy to Jesus. And I'm so thankful that this interaction was recorded by Mark and is included in Scripture because isn't that where we often find ourselves at the end of our rope where we just can't do it anymore? We hear a command from Jesus and we want to follow it. That's our heart. We want to follow Jesus. That's our desire. But often the things of life get in the way and they tempt us to not follow Jesus because often not following him seems easier than following him. We need help in increasing our faith. And the reality is is it's not something that we just possess. When this man comes to Jesus, all he has is his story. And I love that Jesus asked the man, he asked him to give him information about his son. And it's not that Jesus didn't already know all the backstory behind this little boy. Jesus knew there was a demon in him. But he wanted to give the father an opportunity to share what he knew. To share what he had experienced. And then Jesus built on his experience. And I love that we have this man who says to Jesus, if you can. And I love Jesus' response. Because obviously this man has heard of the things that Jesus is doing. He's heard of the things that the disciples are doing. I hadn't thought about this till just now, but I want to point this out too. This man's experience with people casting out demons was based on the disciples. He had not had that encounter yet with Jesus. And so his beliefs, his understandings were based on what he had experienced of other believers. And I think that's significant for us. That's going to tie in a little bit later. But church, we're born without faith. Have you ever thought about that before? It is not something that we are born possessing. It's given to us. How do we get it? The Holy Spirit gives it to us. We talk about all the time that the Holy Spirit is the one that draws us to himself. And through that process, he is giving us trust. He's teaching us to be faithful. We hear the gospel. The Holy Spirit is working in us. And it gives us the faith to say, Jesus, I I hear and I see who you are. And I'm going to step out and trust you with my life. And it's that little step, that little bit of faith that's given us to the Holy Spirit that gets us started. And like everything else in life, we must learn how to use the faith we've been given. And then we build upon that faith as we walk through life. It's necessary. One of the commentaries I read this week said, The sole bridge between frail humanity and the all-sufficiency of God is faith. The means by which Jesus... His divine authority and legitimacy becomes effective in human life is faith. We'll read that again. The means by which Jesus' authority and legitimacy becomes effective in human life 
is by faith. The statement that everything is possible to him who believes must appear to the fathers an elusive hope. However, for the faith he needs to heal his son is a faith that he does not have, or so he thinks. You see, the reason the father of this boy says to Jesus, if you can, is because he does not have the faith that is necessary. But he realizes it. And what's his response? He says, help my unbelief. I want to believe, but help my unbelief. Church, Jesus' authority only becomes effective because of our faith. That's what Jesus is trying to help us to understand. Our faith plays a significant role in his work in our lives. Mark shows us in this story that the boy's father did not have enough faith. And this is why he says, if you can. Jesus' reaction to that statement is priceless. He says, if you can, everything is possible for the one who believes. So what is Jesus saying here, okay? Which part of the equation is lacking? Is it Jesus or is it the man? Obviously, it's the man, right? So he's pointing us to something. The dad's faith is lacking, not Jesus' power. He went on to say in that commentary I read this week, true faith is always aware how small and inadequate it is. The reason that you, I'm going to pause right there, the reason that you look at the circumstances of your life and say, that is way too big for me, is because of your faith. Because you know by experience what you are capable of. And it's that faith actively working in your life to point out that you've got to trust somebody bigger than you. He goes on to say, the father becomes a believer not when he amasses a sufficient quantity of faith, but when he risks everything on what little faith he has. When he yields his insufficiency to the true sufficiency of Jesus, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. The risk of faith is more costly to the father than bringing his son to Jesus. For he can talk about his son, but he must cry out for faith. True faith takes no confidence in itself, nor does it judge Jesus by the weakness of his followers. It looks to the more powerful one who stands in the place of God, whose authoritative word restores life from chaos. True faith is unconditional openness to God. A decision in the face of all to the contrary that Jesus is able. That's what I sent to the elders this week. Because as I read that, I thought, man, think about what that means for us as believers. We know that God's going to ask us to do things that are bigger than we are. But Scripture is telling us the things that we need, Jesus is waiting on us to ask Him to provide. He's not asking us to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. To get enough grit to make it happen. He's asking us to ask him to do it for us. That small amount of faith is significant. The point that Jesus is making and that the commentator is revealing is that faith, no matter how small, is the catalyst required for us to see God's work in our lives. Because without faith, without trust, we don't get to see what God's doing. That small amount of faith, that knowledge of God opens up our ability to understand and to see what God is up to. This weekend, um, my family went to uh, a ham radio fest, okay? We geeked out. It's okay to make fun of us. We're all right with it. We went to this thing, and the whole point is to learn, right? Bethany and I got our ham license um, right before COVID, and we've learned just, I mean, a tiny speck 
of what there is in the ham radio world. So yesterday we went out to, to Woodworth and they got all these radios set up or we're setting them up and we helped set them up. Didn't know what we're doing, but we're plugging stuff in as people are guiding and directing us. And one of the things that you can do within ham radio is this thing called FT8. And just think of it like a text message that's getting sent out over radio waves instead of the internet. And I'd never fooled with FT8 before. It's, you hook a computer to this old radio and they talk to each other. It's magic. It's really neat. Okay. And so um, I had no concept of how it worked at all. But this really nice guy, Houston, sat down with me and he spent about 30 minutes explaining, I'm talking about everything he could think of, like why it makes the kind of files it makes and what you use them for. And I just want to know what button to click to make it work. I'm going to be honest with you. I could care less about how many files it makes and what you might use them for down the road. I just want to talk to somebody. And so what button do I click to get to talk to somebody? So he, he's very patient with me and he teaches me how to do it. And so I learned what buttons to click or most of the buttons to click and spent about an hour sending these little text messages across the world. Talk to people in like Panama. Um, I can't even think of all the places. All over the globe, like 8,000 miles away with less power than it takes to run a light bulb. It's really incredible technology. And so we left and went and got our kids, and that's a whole other story, but we brought them with us. And here's the point that I'm trying to make is, I didn't know anything about FT8 until I got there yesterday. But then I, I, we get back, and I'm sitting down at the computer, and I'm trying to make it work again, and somebody walks up the sheriff's deputy and, and introduces her to me, and, she's, and, and the guy goes, can you explain to her what you're doing? Uh... Oh, okay. And so I began to explain what I just learned about. Have you ever had to do that before you teach somebody something you just learned? It's very intimidating. Okay. And so I'm trying to explain to this sheriff's deputy what I'm doing and how it's working. And then I hear somebody say something behind me and I turn around and it's the dude that taught me. He's the expert and I'm the one explaining it. And he's just standing there listening. And I was like, Houston, why don't you say something? You can explain this so much better than I could. And he's like, no, man, you got it. You're doing it. She leaves kids come in and I sit, Joshua and Luke and Amy comes and helps at one point and I explain to them kind of how it works. And before you know it, they're making contacts. Joshua, what was the furthest contact you made? He talked to somebody in Australia. Luke, where was yours? New Zealand. New Zealand. Those are pretty close to each other. Here's the point. I didn't know anything about FT8 before yesterday at about one o'clock. I spent 30 minutes with a guy who knows everything about it. And he taught me just enough to get my toes in the water. And then I got an opportunity to teach several other people what I knew. And guess what happened too? As we're doing it, we discovered things that I had not learned together. I think it was with Luke. We were sitting there and the thing came up red and I clicked it. And all of a sudden a contact got made. And I was like, whoa, Houston, what just happened? Church, this is, this is what it's like to, to build your faith. It's that you don't know anything, and then God gives you just a little bit, and you begin to operate in that faith, and it's exciting, and you get to tell people about it, and they begin to learn, and then you start learning together, and all of a sudden, you're learning things about the Lord that neither one of you probably knew, and all it took was a little bit of faith for you to trust just enough to get your toes in the water. And before you know it, you're learning on your own and you're getting to share what little... And look, here's the point too. You don't have to know everything. God's not asking you to know everything. He's asking you to trust Him just a little bit. And then that faith begins to build and to grow.
We're not born with faith. We're introduced to it by God. Our faith is built by this abiding cycle that we talk about all the time, where God speaks, we hear his voice, we obey what he says. He does what only he can do. And we go, man, look how incredible God is. We fall deeper in love with him. We go, okay, God, what's next? And the cycle starts all the way over again. That's how our faith is built. It's not by just reading scripture a lot. It's not by praying enough. It's not by anything that we do other than just making a choice to trust Jesus. We talk all the time about Moses' story and how God built his faith when he told him to go and free the Israelites. We talk about that all the time with the staff with God telling him to throw the staff down. Not a big deal. The staff turns into a snake. Moses is scared, as he should be. And then God says, pick the snake up. It's the same way it works in our lives. God gives us just a little task. And we say, okay, I'll do it. And we just keep going. And we just keep going. But we have to decide to step out with a little bit of faith that we currently possess. The return on that is greater knowledge of God, which allows us to trust Him because of the experience that we just had. So this is the point where Israel makes their fatal mistake. Literally fatal, right? They decide not to trust God. They have experiences after experiences after experiences where their faith is being built and they get to a point where it's going to take a little bit more faith and they say, no, I've had enough. I'm not doing it. And they lost their lives. This is significant for us to realize because those experiences, like we talked about before, are so much bigger than what we experience. Their conscious decision to disobey led them to their death and the lost, they lost the promised land. So God has promised us rest, but we only enter that rest when we step out in the little bit of faith that he's given us. So to answer our first question about the relationship between faith and rest is that without faith, we are unable to experience God's work or his rest. That's the bridge is that you cannot have rest without faith. And so we must grow our faith. And we just talked about how to do that. So what is rest? Let's talk about that for a minute. Obviously for us, it's not the promised land. One of the commentaries I read this week says, thus the imagery of rest is best understood as a complex symbol for the whole soteriological or salvation process that Hebrews never fully articulates, but which involves both personal and corporate dimensions. Listen to this. It is the process of entry into God's presence, the heavenly homeland, the unshakable kingdom, begun at baptism and consummated as, the whole, as a whole estiological, which is the end times. So rest is this. It's God's presence. Rest is the kingdom of heaven on earth, and it is heaven itself. We take that very first step of faith, trusting Jesus with our life through salvation. That's the point where it begins. The Holy Spirit works in your lives, and you take that little bit of faith that he gave you, and you trust him, and you ask him to be the Lord of your life. And so through that, we're now able to enter into God's presence, not because you did anything except trust. You had faith. And now you're a citizen of God's kingdom here on earth, and we also look forward to after we pass, we'll be with him in heaven. Our lives are forever changed by that one small step of faith and will continually change as we grow, as we learn to trust Jesus more and more. So when we're struggling in life, we can count on Jesus' promise that rest is available to us. But the only way to get that rest 
is to trust Him. So what does God's rest look like in your life or in my life? It can be so multifaceted. It can be unique. We hear testimonies about it every week, both here and in life. God's rest is His activity in our life. I loved Ben's story this morning, and I'm going to tie it in right here. Is that Ben and Anna, Ben had an opportunity to work for Suddenlink, and his desire was to know what God wanted him to do. God, if this is the job, tell me. Tell us both. And so God very quickly spoke to Ben, but he made Anna wait, and that's okay. Because you know what it did? Even though God was speaking to Ben, Ben still had to walk in faith, waiting for the Lord to speak to Anna. And through that process, what happened? Their faith was increased as the Lord was speaking and as the Lord was not speaking. God's rest is His activity in our life. I I love the, the moment that they got to have after the Lord spoke to Anna and He got to tell her all the things that the Lord had been saying. How sweet is that? That's the rest. That's what God is talking about. It's his activity in our lives. It is resting from our own abilities and relying on his. Ben could have made a decision to just go work for Suddenlink, but he didn't. He waited on the Lord to speak. They could have run the numbers, made a logical thought pattern, and said, yes, this is going to be good for our family. But rather, they waited on the Lord and let him speak. When we think about God's rest, we need to think back to the garden. We keep going back there over and over and over again because that is where it all began. When God created Adam and Eve, he provided everything they would ever need. There was no need for them to work. They lived in perpetual rest, literally in God's presence. And God is doing all of this in our lives to work us back to that place, to restore that relationship. He's doing that through Jesus. He's working us back to a place of total joyful dependence on God. And therefore, God's rest can manifest itself in a lot of different ways. Think about this, because when I think of the word rest, I think of sitting on the couch after a long day, right? But that's not all that rest can be. If you are working, it can be literally rest from working. What if you can't find a job and all you can do is sit on the couch? Rest is not more sitting on the couch, is it? No, rest is probably going to be going to work. Or what about if you find yourself in a state of depression? What do you want? What's the rest from that? Joy, right? Or what if you're lonely? What's the rest from that? It's a community of people that can love you well. You see, God's rest is not just just sitting. It's way, way, way more than that. It's God's provision in our life. Think about it this way. This is cute. Y'all are going to like this. This is the dad saying, rest is a restoration. There you go. You're going to remember that now. Of what was broken. Rest is a restoration of what was broken. Rest is intended to bring us from where we currently are, which is depending on ourselves, to a place where we can experience God in a greater depth than we ever thought possible. All of us have places that we need to grow in our life. All of us have areas where our faith is lacking. When we need to cry out just like the father did for his son. Say, I want to believe, help my unbelief. 
God's activity in our lives is the rest that we are promised and the rest that the world is looking for. Think about this with me. Our decisions to step out in faith are the encouragement that other people need in their lives for them to step out in faith. Look at the verse 11 one more time in Hebrews chapter 4. It says, let us then make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall into the same pattern of disobedience. There's significance to us doing this together. Obeying God while living in community is the encouragement that all of us need. When we hear stories like Ben and Anna's today, when we hear the testimonies that happen here on Sunday mornings, when we hear testimony of us sharing what's going on in our lives in life group, all of us need that encouragement. And it feels good to hear about the activity in people's lives, right? And it goes, wow, if God can do that in their life, surely he can do it in mine as well. The reason the author of Hebrews is teaching on faith um, and rest in chapter 4 is that he knew the temptation to go back to comfort. We're comfort. We're comfortable living in our own wisdom and under our own logic. That's what feels natural for us. It's hard for us to give up the control in our lives. We talked about that last week. But giving up on control is the only way we're ever going to experience the rest, the promises that God has made for us is us giving up control and trusting Jesus. That's what faith is. As long as we're still trying to fulfill God's role in our life, we're going to be unhappy. If we're the ones trying to make all the decisions, if we're the ones that are going to provide the rest, we're always going to be unfulfilled. I thought about this this morning as I was trying to wrap this up, is that the world is obsessed with finding happiness, right? The whole world. Everybody's looking for something to make them happy. And I don't know if you've ever thought about this before. This was a new thought for me. But trends change over time because people realize the thing that they were chasing doesn't really make them happy. We see that in clothing. We see it in pop culture. People chase a, an idea of something. It might be bell bottoms. It might be living on Instagram, Whatever. But people chase this thing that they think is going to make them happy. And eventually they get to the end of that and they go, you know what? I've just wasted a lot of time and a lot of money on something. And I feel the same or worse than I did when I started. Culture listens to the voices around them, right? The things they hear in their their ear. And the next voice that's shouting the loudest is the one that they follow. People fall in line, they follow that voice, and that cycle of emptiness continues over and over and over again. Those loud voices these days, we call them influencers. People are saying, you want to be happy? Make your life just like mine. And people do that, and they follow them, and we do it too. And then, at some point, we realize that thing that we've been chasing didn't bring us happiness. Here's the point. What if we're the loudest voice? What if through sharing our testimonies with the people that we do life with in our life groups, the people that we work with, the people that we homeschool with, the people that we hang out with, what if our stories of stepping out in faith, not bragging, or maybe bragging, whatever, talking about, not bragging on yourself, bragging on God, talking about the things that the Lord is doing in your life, what if that was the loudest voice? What if that became the thing that people began to chase? That's not going to become a trend that will end. You know why I know? Because we, 2,000 years plus, sharing this same message, 
And we know by experience the joy that comes through trusting the Lord. Through stepping out in faith with what little bit we have and then getting to see God do something that only He can do. God's promises remain and we receive rest by walking into obedience with Him. And when we do that in front of other people, when we live our lives out loud in front of other people, they get to see it too. If we choose to live in community and share what God's doing, we're going to have the opportunity to become that loudest voice. Not because we're yelling, but because people are going to see God's activity and go, I don't know what that is, but I want some of it. I've heard testimonies from you guys in the past where people have said that to you. They'll say, I don't know what it is about you, but something is different. And I want it. And it's not because you're just a great person, which you probably are. It's because the Holy Spirit is working inside of you. And that is something that is lasting. It's something that brings true happiness, true joy. And it's something that the world needs. So God's made this promise to us, to the world, for this rest, for his activity, to get us back to the garden where he is the provider. He is the sustainer. Not us. And the way we help people find that is by stepping out in faith just a little bit and trusting the Lord and then sharing that with other people. God's promise of hope, of rest, is still available to all of us today. God wants us to join Him in that rest and He wants us to bring people with us as we do that. That's our challenge for this week, church. Is to just trust the Lord. This week, tomorrow morning, today, With whatever the Lord's speaking in your life, trust Him. Step out in faith and then tell people about it. Let's pray. Father, I'm so thankful that we are part of a church that has such great testimonies. That we are a a people who do know You. That we're not starting this from scratch. God, we've got years and years and years of testimony, of stories, of experiences with You doing what you say you're going to do. And God, as we move forward from this moment right here today, God, I don't want us and you don't want us and we're asking you, don't let us move forward in our own power and our own abilities and our own wisdom. Father, teach us to move forward in faith, to trust you, to do the things that you're speaking in our lives that maybe don't make sense, that maybe the world won't understand. Father, give us the strength, give us the courage Help our unbelief. Father, let the world see what it is. See that our trust is in you and not in ourselves. That you are good and that you are trustworthy. Father, help us to be that loud voice in culture that says if you're looking for something, this is what it is. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.